Hello and welcome to the Bible with Me podcast from Precept UK. We are a Christian charity based in Salisbury that equips people to know God deeply so they can live differently, using a wide range of Bible study resources for all ages and levels of understanding. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the ministry, and we would love to encourage you to seek the truth of God's Word for yourself using one of our inductive study books, available at precept.org.uk. Now without further ado, here's Nigel with the latest episode of the Bible with Me podcast. Well, good morning or good afternoon, everybody. I am I'm really delighted to welcome Jeremy Marshall to the Bible and Me podcast uh, today. Uh, after school in Hemel Hempstead, Jeremy went to St. John's College in Cambridge and entered into the banking world, first with Barclays and then with the Bank of Montreal before venturing into private banking. Uh, Jeremy was given 18 months to live six years ago and he lost the sight in both of his eyes for a short while and has written two books about how the word of God has helped him in these very tough times. Uh, and his illness has led him to share his faith with large numbers of people. Uh, Jeremy is also the chairman of trustees of a number of charities. Uh, he loves helping those without a faith uh, to actually look at the Bible. Uh, He also loves football, he loves golf, cricket, and also problem solving. Uh, Unsurprisingly, he is not so keen on chemotherapy. Uh, Jeremy's married to Jeanette. They have a daughter, Naomi, and two sons, Nathaniel and Sam. Uh, Jeremy, uh, welcome to the programme today. Thanks, Nigel. Thanks so much for having me. And sorry about my croaky voice, which is probably related to my cancer, but I'll keep doing my best Clint Eastwood impression. (laughs) all right well no it's a real joy to have you on the program it really is um so jeremy how did you come to faith in in jesus and why do you follow um, and why do you follow him yeah so i grew up in the most intensely christian house you could possibly imagine but being born in a barn doesn't necessarily make you a horse right so you have to appropriate believe that faith for yourself. My father was a remarkable man. He was nearly 50 years pastor in the same church. And um, one of the formative things, Nigel, that brought me to faith was every summer when I was a small kid, we used to go Bible smuggling behind the Iron Curtain. I'll come on to that in a minute. But one thing that exposed to me was, why are these people following Jesus Christ? This was in the 60s and 70s. In the West, it was pretty easy to be a Christian. The worst that could happen was somebody would laugh at you. But if you were a Christian, especially a young Christian, behind the Iron Curtain, you were discriminated against. You couldn't get a job, couldn't go to university, and so on. So it seemed to me the only possible reason why these people believed. And by the way, they believed with a much more vibrant living faith than we did in the West was that it was true. So that's that's the first step, I believe, in anyone becoming a Christian, and me too, that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he really Jesus really lived, he died, and he rose again. But you have to go further. So I would say one day I met Jesus. I don't mean in some supernatural way, but like pieces in a jigsaw, it all clicked into place. 
And I realized not only was it true, but that he was speaking to me and I could follow him, believe in him, be forgiven for all the things I'd done wrong. So I've, you know, with my very, like all of us, many ups and downs, trials and snares along the way, I've been trying to follow him ever since. Yeah, that is wonderful. That, that is that is fantastic. Now, you did mention, you said um, that your father who was a pastor for many, many years, 50 years, and he used to take you and your sisters and your mother uh, taking Bibles behind the Iron Curtain uh, every summer in the 1970s. Um, tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. So my father was quite a character because his friend said to him, you're crazy. Why don't you support open doors? He said, no, no, I want to do it myself. So every summer he'd pack up a car, depending on where we were going, let's say the USSR, which we went to several times. And um, off we'd go. And, um, you know, the book, the Bibles would be secreted around the car somewhere because when you got to the border, they would like, look for them. But my father was also, he believed you should never tell lies. So they would say, have you got any Russian Bibles? He'd say, yes. And under the Soviet constitution, I'm allowed to bring them in. So they would say, well, how many have you got? He'd say 50. They'd say, well, that's too many. So he'd have an argument at the border and a haggling. In the end, they'd say, okay, you can take 25 and we'll take 25, which dad thought they would probably sell on the black market anyway, because in the Iron Curtain, there were two things that were valuable, Levi jeans and Bibles, right? <laughs> so as kids, we, we were sort of vaguely aware, but not fully one time trying to be helpful in Hungary on our way into the Soviet Union. I started to take all the deck chairs, which were strapped to the car. My father had like a Volvo estate and a trailer and like a roof box and everything. And as I did that, I was hit by a flood of, Russian Bibles all cascading on top of me. When we got to these churches, the people were a bit surprised to receive a visit from an eccentric English pastor and his very young family. My younger sister was only one when we first went. But um, dad, dad said, you know, that the people there, they, it meant a lot that someone in the West made the effort to come. And what did they want? They wanted Bibles. We have so many Bibles. I'm looking at my groaning bookshelves now. I have Bibles, commentaries, the lot, but they had nothing. And what did they want? They wanted the Bible. Why? Because it gave them the strength to resist the atheistic pressure of being in a Marxist-Leninist state that persecuted Christians. Yeah, absolutely. Goodness me. So you would literally get in a car and go across the channel, maybe, wherever, and just drive to Russia or, or the yeah, sort of former yeah. Soviet Union countries. Yeah. With yeah. My father was, as I said, was eccentric. His dream was to get to the Caucasus from Hertfordshire. And I can tell you the roads were terrible. In the end, though, we only got to Rostov-on-Don. Hitler never made it to the Caucasus, nor did my father. But uh, under his own steam, he also flew to Central Asia quite a few times. And there, so, you know, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, yeah. these places were completely closed, you have to remember. Yeah. But my father posed as a tourist, and he used to go 
he would take um, a big barber coat, right? Yeah. And he would stuff the pockets for the Bibles because they wouldn't frisk you. They would look in your luggage. Yeah. And one time the stewardess, when they landed at Tashkent or Almaty or wherever, tried to get his coat down. And she said, well, this is very heavy. He said, don't worry, I'll take that. <laughs> so, I mean, reflecting on what you've just said to me, what, what did you learn from a young age that maybe kept has, has stayed with you over the years from that experience? One thing is take some risks. You know, my father wasn't crazy, right? He didn't go to North Korea, but he took risks. Hudson Taylor says, faith without risk is no faith at all. And I think in the West, in, the, in England, in the UK, we become very risk averse in churches, yes. always worrying about everything. No, what were the apostles like in Acts? They were bold. Yeah. So we should be bold. Yeah. You know, you were in the army. My father was in the army. My cousin was in the army. My brother-in-law was in the army. Here's my favourite military saying, Nigel. In 1914, Marshal Foch was commanding the French army, which were on the brink of defeat. The centre of Paris was covered with black smoke as the French government burned the files. And you could hear the German artillery at the Marne, which is only 30 miles north of Paris. But actually, the French army stabilised the situation. It was called the Miracle on the Marne. After that came four years of trench warfare. Anyway, Marshal Foch said this, my left wing is non-existent, my centre gives way, position excellent, I attack. And that should be the Christian spirit as well. We all feel, oh dear, the you know, church isn't doing so well in the UK, people are not believing. Okay, so what? There was the position in Acts, no one's going to crucify us. The worst thing that can happen is we get laughed at or maybe we might, in worst case, lose our job or something. So, brothers and sisters, we must go for it. And, and in what spirit? Well, in the spirit of the word of God, which is the sword of, the sword of truth, right? And uh, I believe the Bible is just as powerful now as it was 2,000 years ago. Amen. 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 <laughs> Now, Jeremy, um, after school in Hemel Hempstead, you gained a place at Cambridge University in the early 1980s. Um, so you must be a bright chap to do that. Um, I think it was an, I think nicely it was an accident. <laughs> there's probably another, there's probably another Jeremy Marshall out there <laughs> wondering why I didn't get in. No, I went to a comprehensive, and I, I was fortunate. I had a couple of. It was a bit of a mixed bag, but I had a couple of great teachers and my my father who really helped me. Yeah, so I went there and I, I what, did history. What, what are your memories yeah. of Cambridge? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I've wasted, it's wasted on you when you're 18. Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, an amazing place. St. John's, it's got the most glorious buildings and it's such a, yeah, it's an amazing place. You know, my closest friends are all pretty much from Cambridge or from INSEAD, where I did an MBA. Um, and Christian-wise, it was great too. Yeah, I came, my father was from a real kind of Lloyd-Jones, Banner of Truth background. Yeah. So it opened my eyes that, you know, Charismatics, Pentecostals, 
even dare I say it, Anglicans were not so bad as all that. <laughs> oh, now you left Cambridge in 1984 and you set about a career in uh, banking, first with Barclays and next uh, with the Bank of Montreal before branching out into private banking. So um, why banking? And secondly, how, how did you live out being a Christian amongst all that filthy lucre, as the Bible yeah. sometimes calls it? The, f- the first question is easy. The second one is hard. The first one was because I wanted to make some money. <laughs> My father had no money. He was a free church pastor. He told me afterwards that when I started work in 84, I was making, I think, £7,000 a year. That was a lot more than he was making, age 55, right? So I wanted to make some money. And by the way, making money is not a bad thing. John Wesley said, make all you can, give all you can. Yes, Um, yes. So, yeah, how to live? Well, that's a good question, especially what I ended up. I worked for 20-odd years for Credit Suisse. Then I became chief executive of a family-owned private bank called Seahor & Co., which is you know, a very exclusive bank. And um, what are you doing? You're dealing with very wealthy people. So the danger as a Christian is, yeah, that, you know, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So I'd say, Nigel, the answer to that is, above all, the local church. The local church, especially if you're, you know, reasonably successful as I was. We must remain rooted and grounded in our church. Wesley again said, the Christian is like a lump of coal. If you put the lump in the fire, it stays warm. If it falls on the hearth, it goes cold. And church is also good if you're, you know, fairly successful and fairly rich because you should be, what should it be about? Serving, right? If you want to temper your pride, try and teach teenagers. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good lesson, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was, uh, were you able to share your faith um, in your banking career? I mean, how did that work? Yeah, I mean, one thing that you've heard about before, Nigel, um, which is great in uh, in business, is uh, word one-to-one. Yeah. So uh, you've had Richard Pagonan on, and through Richard, I really got enthusiastic. Now, when I was CEO, you can't do it with the people who work for you. Right. That's not fair. If you ask your subordinate, would you like to read the Bible with me? But pretty much everybody else, also since I've had cancer, I have three magic questions, or I should say three biblical questions. (laughs) One is, um, because people ask me about how you're doing with cancer, I say, you know, fine, I find my faith is so helpful. How about you? Do you have any particular beliefs? And then shut up when they answer. Don't argue with them. Don't contradict them. Just listen. Second question, have you ever looked at the Bible? No. I tell you, these are, you know, highly educated people in the city, PhDs. They don't know anything about the Bible. Really? Nothing. 50% of people in the UK think Jesus never existed or is a mythical character like Robin Hood, who probably did exist, but we can't know much about it. So we have to start at the beginning. But the big advantage of that, Nigel, is it's like coronavirus. We are coronavirus. 18 months ago, people have got no resistance. 
because they've never been exposed to it. Yeah. Older people, less so. It's actually sometimes more difficult with people in their 60s and 70s had to do scripture at school. But people under 60, by large, no. And then I have my third question is this. Would you like to have a chat with me about the Bible? And I've asked hundreds of people that. I've got a hit rate of about one in three. That's because I've got cancer. That's my secret weapon. We'll come on to that in a minute. But globally, it's more like one in five. Not one person has ever been offended, ever been offended at all. And um, often people say, yeah, I love that. And um, the word of God, when you read it with your colleagues, is so powerful. Just before we were, just before now, yeah. a few minutes ago, I was on I was on the Zoom with a friend of mine who's become a Christian, I believe. And um, he, we were reading John's Gospel and we were reading this verse in John chapter 3. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And my friend said, that's me. I was really struck. He said, that's me. That's exactly what I'm afraid of. Now, you know, when God purposed that verse to be written by John 2,000 years ago, I believe, amongst many other things, he had my friend in mind because that verse hit him with a tremendous power as if it stepped off the page. So, yeah, at work, I really love um, inviting friends outside work hours. We shouldn't be stealing time from our employer, yeah. but over lunch or a coffee. Yeah. And, you know, at the moment I've got about a dozen people, but I'm in chemo now, so I have to cut back. Right. At my peak, I've done about 20, and I just love it because people lap it up. They lap it up. It's so powerful. Yeah, that is just absolutely fantastic. Amen and amen to that. Now, um, Jeremy, you, you've mentioned uh, cancer, and uh, eight years ago you were diagnosed with cancer, and six years ago you were told that you only had 18 months to live. Uh, I'd like to ask you a few questions related to this journey, uh, if I may. Um, firstly, uh, and just to say before I do that, um, in my own family, we've had a lot of cancer. Uh, my, my mother died of cancer in 63. My sister died of cancer age 54. And my brother lost his wife to cancer when she was 40. So in our family, we are, we are very aware of this. Um, how did you find out that you had cancer? And how did you react to that initial news? I'll ask you other questions related, but just the, the first part of it. So first of all, Nigel, I'm really sorry about your loss and cancer touches so many people. 50% of people alive in the UK will get cancer. The reason is we're solving all the other diseases that kill people, but cancer is a really, really difficult disease to solve. Yeah. Um, how did I find out? I found a lump on my ribs one day in the shower eight years ago, nearly nine years ago, actually now. And um, I went to the GP who said, it's just a fatty lump, nothing to worry about we'll just check it out and then I got referred and referred and ended up at the Marsden which only does cancer and they told me you've got this really rare type of cancer it's called a sarcoma um, I went through treatment for about six months then for about two years everything went back to normal six years ago 
I found another lump, but a much bigger one on my collarbone. I went back. This time they told me, the first time they told me, we should be able to cure this. Second time they told me, basically, you've had it. Got tumours everywhere. We can't cure you. And of course you ask, well, how long do you think I've got to live? And they say, well, we can never exactly tell, but 18 months. So since then I've been through, yeah, like very intensive medical treatment. I've got my 33rd chemotherapy on Monday. I've had about a dozen operations. I've had radiotherapy. I've had major heart problems. And yeah, as you mentioned in your introduction, I lost the sight in both eyes, probably due to the treatment. Um, but I got it back in one eye. So how did I feel? How do I feel? I feel afraid. Mm. Yeah, you'd be crazy not to, right? Cancer is a terrifying disease because it's so silent. If you start having heart pains, you think that's a heart attack. You go to the hospital, usually they can put in a stent or whatever. Cancer grows silently and it metastasizes, which is what happens to me and it goes everywhere. So, yeah, it's how do I feel? I feel afraid. The next thing you're going to ask me is, okay, how do you react to that? Yeah. And, you know, the wonderful thing is the most common command in the Bible mm. in general mm. is fear not. Yeah. And the most common command that Jesus gave to his disciples is fear not. Yes. So the Bible is packed full of stuff which help us when we're afraid. Yes, yes, indeed. Goodness, goodness me. Um, how do you how do you deal with with news that a doctor says you've got eighteen months to live? And how do your family deal with that? It's hard, right? It's hard. I don't want to minimise it. The Bible is amazing, but nonetheless, it's still hard. It's hard to have to come home from the hospital. My wife was with me. Yeah. When they told me that, I burst into tears. Yeah. And then have to drive around the UK and tell my kids. Yes. You know, they're all at university. I didn't want to tell them in over the phone. Yes. That's hard. Um, what helps is God's word. Yeah. It's like medicine. The day I was going, the day before I was going to... Um, to the hospital, I um, had lunch with a friend of mine, Rico Tice, right? Yes. Many yes. people know him. Yes. And yes. Um, Rico told me, because I was afraid, Rico told me, I have a verse for you. And I still can remember it now. It's a great verse, um, which is so powerful. Um, Psalm. I think it's Psalm 112. Here we are. Yeah. Psalm 112, verse 6. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Now, I'm obviously not at the psalmist level because I was shaken and I was afraid. But nonetheless, I feel, yeah, with God's help, I can be steadfast. Because God is with me and God, you know, the promises of God, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Yes. Look, I'm with you always, even yes. to the very end of the age. Yes. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. 
those promises become alive, powerful, effective mm. when you're going through what I'm going through. Mm. So clearly you, I mean, six years ago, you were given that diagnosis and you're, you're, you're with us today, five, six years later. Um, and so are you saying, well, by God's grace and the treatment that you've had, you're still with us, doing what the Lord wants you to do. Yeah, I mean, humanly speaking, I'm alive because the master is fantastic and they've, you know, got me on chemo and I respond well to chemo. So I shrink the tumours in chemo, then I stop, they start growing again, we start chemo again. Right. I feel like the guy in Greek mythology pushing the boulder up the hill. But the amazing thing, Nigel, is God had a purpose in giving me cancer. At the time, I didn't realise it. But I believe one of the purposes was to help people who were struggling with cancer and to reach non-Christians. Mm. Because, you know, if you look at COVID, I published this book, Beyond the Big Sea, with 10 of those that came out like two months before COVID, right? Now, the Big Sea is cancer. Yes. It could be COVID. And yes. my experience then of six years living with cancer, living with chemotherapy is every time someone coughed or sneezed pre-COVID, I was afraid, right? Because yes. I have no immune system. Yes. And that experience is directly transferable to people. The same thing with them. Um, yes. The same thing with living with the fear of death. Yes. Yes. And yes. Somehow my my experience can be a bridge to non-Christians. Yes. The ultimate bridge is Christ. Hmm. But our suffering can be like that little metal plate when you drive over a bridge like the Dartford Crossing. You hear like a clunk noise. That's because there's a little metal plate that stops you hitting the bridge and maybe bursting your tyre. Yeah. And our experience, and especially our experience if we can help people look at the Bible, we can be that tiny little metal plate that takes people onto the bridge to God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And in lockdown, Nigel, this was the most amazing opportunity because God's given me a very serious disease. But it, I'm not, I can still speak, right? It's not like I'm in a hospice. I can still speak more or less now. And so I had, yeah, probably 100 to 120 Zoom calls with churches up and down the UK in the Republic of Ireland where I could talk about hope in the face of death. And I could talk about, um, for example, Jesus with the widow of name. Yes. That's a wonderful story because she's afraid, she's grieving in death. She's not looking for Jesus, but Jesus is looking for her. And in fact, he's right in front of her, but she doesn't realize who he is. And he reveals himself to her. How relevant that is to our times. Yeah, absolutely amazing. So, so what you're saying is you have had, through, your, through this very, very serious illness that you've had, and, and the fact that it's gone on, God has actually used it for you to bear witness to his faithfulness and grace to many, many people that maybe otherwise you wouldn't have had. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. 
and and during the lockdown period, all these Zoom calls to encourage people. And what sort of response do you get when you when you talk to them? I mean, do do you, do you what? Yeah, what sort of feedback do you get about that? Yeah, well, the best thing what I do, um, Nigel, is I do a twenty to twenty five minute talk along the lines of what we've been talking about. Yeah, you know, what's it like living with cancer? If there is a loving God, how does He allow suffering? You go to the cross, and isn't it just wishful thinking? Go to the resurrection, but then I throw it open to questions. Okay, and um, that's amazing. You know, what I'm after is not the Christians' questions. I'm after the the seekers, the inquirers, yeah. and you get fantastic, fantastic questions. And um, I try and answer them as best I can yeah. using the Bible, using Bible stories. So, for example. Somebody says, well, if there is a loving God, how can he allow suffering? We talk about Lazarus. What does Jesus do? He weeps. God is moved by the human predicament, the human suffering. Or someone says, what about other religions? I tell them the story of um, the, 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 the Samaritan woman, right? Religion, a war with the, 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 the Jewish faith. Um, sometimes people ask questions. I like football. In football, sometimes you get an open goal, right? You or I, if we were on the pitch, could just tap the ball into the empty net. So somebody asked me this question. This was in a City of London context, right? I do a lot with businesses as well. They said, because I said, look, being a Christian is about grace. It's forgiveness, not about being moral. It's yeah. about receiving a free gift. So he said this, are you really telling me, Jeremy, if there was someone in the city who was a terrible person, they spent all their money on drugs and prostitutes, they were corrupt, they lied and cheated, but at the end they came to faith, they would be okay with God. And if there was another person who always lived morally, gave all their money away, but said, I don't need God, they wouldn't be okay with God. I said, well, it's funny you should ask me that question because somebody asked Jesus the same question. And I then told them, in my own words, the story of the prodigal son, contrasting the younger son, who's the drugs and prostitutes guy, yeah. with the older son, who's outside because God owes me. Now, I had more time there. If time had been short, I would have told them the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee which is the same point, right? God have mercy on me, a sinner. And at the end, the guy said this. He said, oh, that's amazing. I didn't realise that story was in the Bible. <laughs> so, you see, people don't know it. And if we tell stories, especially stories about the Lord, that's what we must home in on. We often get sidetracked on other things in the Bible. You know, cul-de-sacs, I call them, you know, I may annoy some of your listeners, but creation. I'm not against talking about that. But I love the words of Spurgeon. You know, Charles Spurgeon, right? Yeah, yeah. Spurgeon said, if you find yourself lost in a field in England, near a hamlet or a village, you think to yourself, every little village in England has a London road. I must cut across country and find London road. And then I'll be on the right track when we share our faith 
using the Bible. We must do the same thing. We cut across country and we find the Jesus road and we start telling people about him and what he's like and what he did. And people, when they hear, for example, the story of the widow of Nain, which is a wonderful story because it's very short and it's very punchy. You say Jesus is in front of this person. He's in front of you. Jesus is full of kindness and compassion. Jesus has the power over death and Jesus demands a response. You can do that in a minute with the story, right? Yes. The bearer stood still. That's the response. Be curious. Look into it. Oh, there's something here. Yeah. So people are struck powerfully by that and it, it intrigues them. Yes. Not everybody because the seed goes out. Sometimes it lands on concrete. Yes. But Nigel also when it lands on concrete, concrete can have cracks. Yes. And many years later, people can come to faith. I can't tell you how often when I do word one-to-one, the people I do it with, it turns out someone planted a tiny seed years and years ago. There's a very successful friend of mine, owns his own company. And through a really strange set of connections, I because he had a specific set of questions relating to his background, I asked a Christian a friend of mine who comes from the same background. I didn't give him his name. I never give people's names. And um, my Christian friend said after a bit, it's not so-and-so, is it? I said, yeah, that's exactly who he is. He said, well, that's really strange, by which I think he meant that's the Holy Spirit. Eight years ago, I had dinner with him. I shared with him some stuff from the Bible. I went back to my friend I was reading with. I said, do you remember that? He said, oh, yeah, I do. It got me thinking. You see, we have to be patient with the Bible. We think, oh, if no one's interested, we give up. We think, good thing God never gave up with us. (laughs) We must sow the seed. I believe, Nigel, if we sow the seed, especially in the way that I described, talking about Jesus, enthusing about Jesus, telling stories about Jesus. When we get to heaven, we will someone will come up to us and say, do you remember such and such a conversation? I'll say, no. He said, well, through that I came to faith because the evangelist is God. God is the evangelist. We're just the humble servants. And our job is to sow the seed. After that, it's up to him. Amen. Amen. And tell people about Jesus. We can talk about God, but people have different views about God. But when you home in on the person of Jesus, and we can be a bit reticent in our country, in England, in the UK, to talk about Jesus. But I absolutely agree. Um, I encourage people to to dig into the person of Jesus and and to, to defy them. They'll find anything wrong with them because I don't yeah. think they will. And don't, don't get sidetracked on arguments. Yes. I love to argue. My father was the world's greatest arguer, but it doesn't help right. if someone says, if someone says, for example, I believe we're all on a journey up the mountain. It doesn't really matter, right? In the past, I'd have said, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, which is true, but you've shut down the conversation. No man comes to the Father except by me. Right. What I would do now is I would say, oh, that's really interesting. Let me tell you a story 
about a person who thought they were on a path up the mountain. And Jesus met them and everything changed. The Samaritan woman, right? The Samaritans, like maybe our Jewish or Muslim friends, yeah. they had a lot of the truth. Yes. But what they didn't have was they didn't believe yeah. that, that they didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. Yeah. And the only person in John's gospel who Jesus says, I am the Messiah, is a follower of another faith. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Now, Jeremy, you've written a couple of books. Um, what are they called and, and why did you write them? I wrote them because the publisher asked me to write them. <laughs> um, but they seem to have done well. The publisher, 10 of those, said, we want a short book. 15,000 words. It's a terrible comparison, but that's the length of a gospel, right? That we, that Christians can give to non-Christians. This is the first book, Beyond the Big Sea. So that's what I wrote. And um, the story is supposedly about me and cancer and what it's like, but really the story is about Christ. Mm. And the second book is a kind of hybrid. I like golf, yeah, that's true. So in golf, you have a hybrid club, right? You can do a number of things. So the second book is called Hope in the Face of Suffering. And it's 20 passages from the Bible that I found so helpful in my struggles. And um, same length, 15,000 words, very short chapters. And that can be encouraging for Christians who, who need help from the Bible, but also for non-Christians. And both books are designed to give away. And, um, yeah, thank God, you know, both books have sold really well. Um, you can buy them for a pound each. I should add, I don't make any money from the royalties. Oh. And 10 of those, bless them, have, um, they do a deal. So if you buy, I think it's 10, they'll give you it. And just give them away. I'll tell you who I give them away to, taxi drivers. Yeah. So now I go into London and um, I don't get the tube because I'm worried about COVID. Yeah. So I get a taxi to yeah. the Marston or back from the Marston. Yes. And um, sometimes the guy's not talkative, but often he is. How are you, mate? Yeah. I say, oh, I've just been at the Marston being treated. Oh, how are you doing? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Then I say, I've got this book. Would you like it? And several of them say, oh, my, one guy told me my dad died of cancer. He never wanted to talk about it. And I wanted to talk about it. Um, this guy used to drive once a month to Devon to take his dad to hospital every month for years. He touched me. I said, would you like a copy of my book? Yeah. He said, yeah, great. Now, maybe he puts it in the bin, I don't know. That's, again, that's up to God, right? Yeah. So books, a short book like that, there are others. Yeah. Give them away. Give people books. Yeah. People and, do read them yeah. because often people are more interested than we think. Yes. People yes. don't want to let on. No. This Christian thing, it sounds a bit weird. Yes. But if you give someone a book, yeah, they may look at it. Yeah. And if not, they may leave it. My friend of my sister's was in a park in Buxton, Derbyshire. She found a copy of my book, which someone had left on the bench, I guess, to you know, pick it up and read it, right? Yeah, so... Go ahead, I think go ahead. Your, your story about being in taxi, I've had lots of conversations with taxi drivers uh, leading to faith, and I think there, there, there are lots of opportunities that we have to do that. I, and I've shared on the podcast before uh, um, a story I, I had with a taxi driver down in Cornwall. And uh, 
he collected me from a big Christian festival. And we got on the taxi and he said, oh, what, what's that event you've been at? And of course, immediately he said, well, it's a big Christian festival that I've been at. And for the next 10 minutes of our 25-minute journey, the taxi driver was going off on one about religion and and our oh, religions are problems of all the world. And I mean, literally, and I was, as he was talking, I was praying. I said, Lord, you've got to give me the words to say here. And uh, and he did. God did. And rather like you were saying there, I told him a story about Jesus in the Bible. His name was um, his name was Bill, uh, the taxi driver, Bill. I've never forgotten him. I said, Bill, have you heard of a guy called Jesus? <laughs> and he said, yes. I said, uh, well, do you know what? He said, um, I, I'm detecting in your voice, you've got a downer on, on religion and religious people. And he said, yes, I have. Yes, I have. I said, well, well, Jesus, you know, some of the hardest words he ever told anybody were to religious people. So Jesus would be absolutely on your side, you know. And he was sort of a bit taken back by this. And he dropped me off at the station. And on the way back, he collected me uh, to take me back. And um, I didn't mention anything about Jesus' door on the way back because he probably expected me to do that. But he dropped me off at the uh, venue and uh, I got with me a tract, which I have, a beautiful tract uh, about a First World War soldier who shot in the trenches and he's dying. And he asked his mate in the trench, uh, how do I get to heaven? And they're all Englishmen brought up in Christian, so-called Christian England, and they don't know the way to heaven. Anyway, it's a beautiful tract. Um, and I gave him this as I was getting out of the taxi to say goodbye. I said, Bill, uh, thank you so much. I said, uh, one day, Bill, I hope to see you in heaven. And here's a little story that's going to help you on your way. And I gave him the tract, and we'll see. We'll see. I think Nigel's stories like that are so effective because many of us become discouraged. And uh, something else I'm involved in is there's a nationwide um, movement called A Passion for Life. Right. You can find out Passion for Life. Org or UK. I'm the co-chair, right. and it's about encouraging local churches to um, share our faith in the run-up to Easter 2022, yeah. but also in general. Yeah. And um, we've just been recording about 20, 30 little training modules on two things, how to build a mission culture in your church and how to share your faith, yes. especially how to share your faith using the Bible. So all the stuff I just went through about using Bible stories, I put down on a video clip and it'll be loaded up in the next few weeks. Yeah. So, yeah, if your church is looking for help, how do we talk? How do we share our faith? A passionforlife.org.uk. Amen. Amen. In fact, I've interviewed uh, John uh, McKinnon, um, who I'm sure you know well. Um, yeah. With, with this. Now, um you're chairman or, or, or trustee of a number of Christian organisations, um, such as, um, I understand, Christianity Explored, Stewardship, A Passion for Life, Veritas House and others. Um, what do you seek to bring to these organisations when you're in the role of a trustee with them? Well, what I should do, Nigel, but that's sometimes a challenge, is I should serve, right? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So that should be my principle. I guess in human terms, what you can bring is know-how around fundraising, around governance, around 
you know, problem solving. Um, and um, I'm always looking for new people to become trustees of charities. In charities, you need, you know this, you need a balance. You need some vicars and pastors, but you also need some people with technical know-how, like me. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, Christianity Explored, working with Rico, that's amazing. Um, stewardship, I'm not the chairman of Stewardship, although I'm trustee, but Stewardship's a fantastic place. How can we, you know, support the church in generosity and in some smaller charities? So we were talking about this before, but I'm chairman of a charity called Christian Books Worldwide, christianbooksworldwide.org. And if you go there, you'll see every month we ship out thousands and thousands of books to pastors in the majority world. You know, we have so much Bible resources here, Bibles, commentaries, theologies. They have nothing. I've had people from Zambia in my house. I'm not even a pastor, right? And I realized, I said, they were looking at all my books, and I've got a lot of books. Um, they, I said, how many books have you got? One had four, one had six. They're pastoring large churches. So I said, okay, you can have anything you like, and I'll ship them out to you. They were like, are you sure? I said, yeah, help yourself. So they were like kids in a candy shop. So that experience taught me we can really help these pastors. So we send out every month thousands of secondhand books in English. We also translate lots of Bible studies and commentaries in 200 languages. And then we're also getting into audio books, e-books and so on. Yeah. What's also amazing about that charity and many others is we have a tiny staff team, just a couple of people. We have about 50 volunteers who mainly get to this warehouse in Swindon, send out the books. We also have retired pastors and elders, you know, people writing with questions about the Bible. Yeah. We help them with that. So one thing in charities is also you can do a lot with volunteers. So if any of your listeners are Christians and want to help one way or another, you know, if books isn't your thing, that's fine. But you can really bring a lot when you've had, you know, a career like yours or like mine, Nigel. You can contribute a lot as a volunteer in a charity. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, um, we, we talked a lot about the word of God, um, which is, it's a blessing to, to do that. Um, I'm going to ask you two or three questions related to the word of God as we sort of come into land a little bit. Uh, because, as you know, as we were sharing before the podcast, um, we are on the same page regarding this. Um, why is the word of God so important to you? Because it's powerful. Because it's like a two-edged sword. We can't change one person one millimetre nearer to Christ, but God's word can. And it's the same power. That's why it was written. These things are written so that you may believe and by believing have life in his name. The problem we've got is it's powerful, but it's inaccessible. Mm. If we plonk down our massive black leather covered Bible, it just puts people off. Yes. So the secret is making God's word available in an accessible format. Amen. And, and I know that you do that so well with uh, with one to one and, and others. And, and as a ministry, I have to say, as, as a precept, 
Um, that is exactly what we are seeking to do as well, uh, teaching people simple um, simple skills, tools to do what exactly what you're saying, to observe, observe the text carefully, which means slowing down. I mean, we, we live life at such a pace, don't we? Actually slow down and see actually what the Bible is saying. Um, and then we're able to, to understand it better. And then obviously we have a choice to make about whether we're going to live in light of that or not. And so uh, rather like you, we are, we are seeking to make it accessible to people um, by giving them those skills and tools to be able to dig it out and to journey alongside them and help them and answer questions that they may have. But also to be um, uh, um, that example, there's a wonderful word, a verse, uh, you will know it well, in, in 1 Thessalonians um, it's not quite my favourite verse, but it's almost my favourite verse, and I'm going to um, read it. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and it's in verse, uh, if I'm not mistaken, verse 5, uh, and it talks about, it says, um, I'll start on verse 4, You know, brothers, loved by God, this is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, uh, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel, and this is the verse that I want to focus on, our gospel came to you not in word only, so it did come in word, uh, but also in power. You were talking about power uh, in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So as it came... The people that were delivering it were fully convicted of its truth. But I think also there's a double meaning there that the people that heard it were convicted as well. And then it says at the end of verse five, uh, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So if you were to break that down, that verse down, the, the, the gospel, the, the gospel came in five ways. It came in word. It came in power. It came in the Holy Spirit. It came with full conviction, and also it came by their example. So as well as helping people to access it, uh, to access it, we, we, you and I, we've got to live it as well, haven't we? We've got to live it. And clearly, uh, you, you are doing that. You have been doing that. Now, do you have a favourable Bible character or book at all? Yeah, book would be John. Yeah, it's got to be John. Okay. Any of the Gospels, but especially John. The reason I love John is the Lord meets with people. He just meets like a chat show. He meets with a succession of people. And that's what we want our non-Christian friends to do. We want them to meet with the living God, the Son of God. And as they read John's gospel, the Lord steps off the page and they become the next chapter in the gospel. <laughs> that's lovely. If you, if you want a character from the Bible, I'll give you one. It's a woman, right? The little maid in 2 Kings chapter 5. I know. And the, yeah, yeah. There's, there, there's faith, right? Yeah. A slave girl Amen. enslaved. Amen. What does she feel towards her master who's Amen. probably killed her family? Yeah. If only my master would talk to the prophet that's in Israel. Yeah. So she, she had the courage to tell Naaman about Elisha. It was a sinner like us. Yeah. How much more must me have the courage and the love? What motivated her? Love for Naaman. Mm -hmm. She could have thought those wicked 
Syrians, they're yeah. getting their comeuppance. Yeah. Or she could have kept quiet, or they have a different religion. We mustn't proselytize. Yes. No. She put her life on the line. What if Elisha hadn't done anything? Yeah. So if she could, if she did that, we can tell people about the Lord. Amen. Amen. We use that passage to introduce people to the inductive study method, actually. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. And he's told to do a simple thing. Go and go and dip yourself in the, you know, yeah. water three, seven times. And yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Um, what about a favorite verse? Can I cheat and have two? <laughs> You're a Christian, Jeremy. <laughs> I've got one from the Old Testament. Two, 2 Chronicles 31, 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For there is a greater power with us. With him is only the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And Which is that test- did, did you say 2 Chronicles? Yeah, 2 Chronicles 31, verses 7 and 8. Yeah, I've slightly edited it. Okay. Kind of, um, and then, yeah, it's got to be in John's Gospel, of course. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. John 11. Yeah, that's good. Those two. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, um, Jeremy, we've come to land. Um, and... Uh, uh, Thank you once again for being uh, prepared to um, talk on the podcast. I mean, I, I have to say, for those that can't see you uh, but are listening, it, the love of the Lord just shines through you, um, you know, and it's just, uh, I, I can just tell you, you're just passionate about <laughs> about sharing Jesus with others, which is, which is just wonderful. Um, and passion is caught, isn't it? It's not taught, it's caught. So I'm sure that those that you're meeting with and hear your passion for him uh, are blessed by that. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously we, we haven't even talked about it, but but uh, you know, I'm sure you're, you're a man of great courage and great resilience as well, as well as a man of faith. And I, I want to, I've been blessed by listening to your journey as well, I have to say. And uh, clearly the Lord has got more for you to do uh, because you're so good at telling others about who he is and he wants that to happen. Um, so just wonderful. Just been a real tonic, a blessing for me to, to talk to you and to hear Thank what you. you're doing for him, you know. Thank you, Nigel. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, listen, the Lord bless you in your in your continuing ministries. God bless.